Please turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 1. We're a month and a half into the first chapter of Mark. And so far, what Mark has done is told us what Jesus is about. He's given us a glimpse into seeing that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ. He's the one everybody is anticipating. And he's on a mission. He is about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God in chapter 1. And then he calls disciples, which is a part of his growing the kingdom of God. And then he proclaims the kingdom of God in the synagogue and preaches, which is a part of proclaiming, furthering the kingdom of God. And then the kingdom of God breaks in even further by pushing out darkness as he casts out demons and as he heals, showing us what the full reign of Christ looks like where there is no more possession by evil spirits. There is no more sickness and all sin is taken care of. And now our passage today, we see Jesus again about the kingdom of God and about the mission of God. And today it's about, it's through his prayer and further preaching. Through prayer and preaching. Let us hear God's word here from Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. Hear God's word. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Thanks be to God. We're going to see today that Jesus is God-centered through his challenges and in his mission. Jesus is God-centered. That seems almost too obvious to say but we're going to see what this text says. Now, when we read the first line here, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, some might say, oh, that's too soon. We just lost an hour of sleep. <laughs> some might say, I would like, I wish it were early in the morning where I could still be asleep. But we see Jesus, who is fully man, wakes up early, early in the morning. And he doesn't do it to go be what we would call productive, by earthly standards, he goes to spend time with the Father. This is one of the challenges that Jesus faces. He gets up early. You'll remember last week we looked at the day and an evening in Capernaum, and that evening went late into the night because as soon as the sun went down, all the city showed up at the door for Jesus to heal them. So late into the night, Jesus was compassionately pouring himself out and healing and then here, very early in the morning the next day, Mark makes that very clear. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. I feel like if I had spent all day and all evening in the synagogue and with lots of people, I would deserve to sleep in. We all feel that way. We might rise early if we were going to do something especially productive, maybe last-minute cramming before an exam, 
or finishing up that presentation for work or traveling to the next big sales pitch or going to meet with a friend who's in need. These things are worth getting up for, but praying, that seems useless to us sometimes. Jesus woke up early to pray, denying his comforts, denying his sleep. He was 100% man and was absolutely prone to being tired, as we all are. Yet he saw that there's something so much more important. And I don't say this to guilt us for when we don't want to get up and pray, but maybe God might use this to convict us. But certainly the point here is to show us how valuable prayer is and how valuable it is to set aside time to be with the Lord. And Mark doesn't tell us exactly what Jesus prayed, but we can gather information from uh, Jesus' actions, from his mission, and from his other prayers about what he might have been praying about. He was almost certainly asking that God's will would be done in this next phase of his ministry. He's about to start a new phase. You'll remember Mark structures his gospel by geography, and so he's been in Capernaum, and now he's moving out into Galilee, the country towns in Galilee. So he's beginning the next phase of his ministry, and so before he begins... He goes to the Father, asking that the Father's will might be done and that he might bless the work. Probably asking for strength, too. Probably praying that he would not be led into temptation. After all, Jesus taught us to pray that, and Jesus himself was tempted. And he was, overall, acknowledging the priority of God's will. He was denying himself to come into God's presence and saying, God's will must be done. So we have to ask, what is the point of praying? Why, why would we do such a thing when it sounds like all we're doing is creating thoughts that bounce off the ceiling? Well, prayer is not to change God's mind. It's to change us more often than not. When we pray, we are submitting ourselves, taking everything that we have in our mind, every item that's in our life, that concern for work tomorrow, that worry for your kid wondering about the safety of your parents. We take these concerns and we place them at the feet of the one who can actually do something about them. So often we think, oh, I'm in control of this, I can handle this. We need to learn to give that to God, just like we give God the things that we know we don't have control over. Because after all, He is the one who is in charge. And prayer is the means that God has designed to accomplish His purposes. Prayer is that means. He, he delights in his children coming to him, approaching him, asking him, and being with him. He delights in that. And there, when we come to him, he blesses us and he moves according to his will. So it is a part of how God has designed to move in this world. He wants us to pray so that he might accomplish his will. And so he enables us to pray to accomplish his will. And it shapes our hearts and maybe, as we see what Jesus is doing here, he comes before the next phase of his ministry. Maybe we, like Jesus, should go to God before things go badly. So often we go to God after things have started going badly. It's finally, it's, it's spiraling out of control. I can't do it anymore. And maybe we also shouldn't just think of prayer as tossing up a to-do list to God, hoping that he might give it some a blessing, that we might do a better job of it. Praying is not a to-do list. Praying is changing us. And so we see when Jesus prayed, he was becoming more and more God-centered. 
Let me rephrase that. He was always God-centered. He was exercising that relationship he had with with the Father and was continuing to be God-centered. Martin Luther, if you can think of uh, people who are busy in life, Martin Luther might be at the top of the list. After all, he started the Reformation. He wrote lots. He translated the Bible. Always had some sort of, I would imagine, conflict with the Roman Catholic Church day after day. And he says, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. How often do we say, I have so much to do that maybe I'll pray next week? Because we think it doesn't do anything. Martin Luther's example shows us that we can't accomplish anything without God's blessing. So we must go to him first before we begin. If prayer is our last resort, then it shows that we're taking matters into our own hands and that we don't actually trust God. But Jesus' trust in the Father was perfect. And so his prayers were perfectly God-centered. So even when it was inconvenient, even when it was uncomfortable, Jesus prioritized being with the Father. And look at verse 36. While he was there in the desolate place, Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. We all would kind of feel good about ourselves if somebody said, hey, everyone's looking for you. Wouldn't that make you feel good? Oh, cool. Let me go and do something for somebody. They want me after all. But it is precisely because of that that Jesus went out to a desolate place. This desolate place, you'll remember, um, Mark has used this word before, but it's been translated differently, which is a little bit confusing. Uh, Earlier uh, in chapter 1, it's called the wilderness. It's the same place. This is the place of closeness with God. This is where Israel learned to trust God. And this is a place of fellowship with God. And so Jesus went out to a desolate place, which was often a place of retreat and rest for him and his disciples throughout the story. And he went, putting aside the distractions of all the people who want to talk to him, and he sought fellowship with his father. That was a priority to him. So we have to ask, was he then abandoning his children in Capernaum? Everybody wants to see him. Wouldn't that, isn't that a little bit rude to ignore them? Well, we know Jesus' character first and foremost. He says in John 6, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So what we're left to conclude then is that the people in Capernaum may have just wanted to see more tricks. Jesus had done signs. He had cast out demons. He had healed people. They may not have wanted to know Jesus. They may have just wanted to see what he had to offer. But we know that for those who seek God, he will never turn them away. And in fact, it wasn't abandoning his children in Capernaum that led him out into the wilderness and then on to the next villages. But it was his love for his people that God had given him in those villages that drove him to continue on his mission. It makes us ask, though, if there are good things in Capernaum, if so many people could come to Jesus and hear him preach, why would he give that up? Well, that's our definition of a a successful ministry. Our definition is lots of people where we can hone our skills and get get to know these people who like us so much. 
Would it be that bad for Jesus to stay? He's got a great ministry going. But Jesus was unswayed by the popularity. And he knew that he had a greater purpose. He has a mission to accomplish. And that's going to be the second part of our sermon. But before we look at this mission that he has to accomplish, we need to ask ourselves honestly a few questions. I think one of the most obvious is what are some of those excuses that we try to give for our lack of devotion to God? God has promised to meet us in prayer and in his word, and yet so often we neglect it because we don't think it's important. So what are some of those excuses? I don't have time. I'm so busy. I'm too tired. I'm not a morning person. I'm not an evening person. Work is really busy these days. Classes are dominating my schedule. The kids are too much work. I dare say closeness with God might intentionally be inconvenient. Because when you go to God, you have to intentionally pry yourself away from worldly attachments. You have to say no to the things that you want in order to be close with our Savior. Imagine on that last day we stand before the throne of God and he says, why didn't you know me in all the ways that I gave you? Imagine saying in response, sorry God, I was so busy. And sometimes our lack of going to God wears us out. Maybe it's because we don't pray that we're worn out. Because we take all these things on our shoulders thinking we're in control of them. They have to go according to our design. When in reality, when we go to God and pray, we realize it's been in his hands the whole time. And now we don't have to worry about it. Because we know who's in control. And we even have to make those kind of moves when we think about all the good things we're doing in life. Like a good ministry in Capernaum. I have this group and I have that group and I'm volunteering here and I'm serving there. All these good things can distract us from the best thing. We're not called to do a bunch of good things. We're called to the best thing. And we see this story in Luke 10. Mary and Martha. You know this story. Mary and Martha. Martha, uh, Jesus came into a town where Martha lived and Martha was a host and she welcomed Jesus and his people into her house and, and she was doing really good things. She was serving, she was hosting, she was making sure they feel welcome. But she got upset because her sister Mary wasn't helping her. She went and sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his teaching. And so Martha, who was busy with good things, went to Jesus and said, Jesus, can you please tell Mary, my sister, to come and help me serve? And listen to Jesus' response. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. That's the one thing that's necessary, to sit at Jesus' feet and to be with him and to learn from him. Not to be busy with all these good things, but to be occupied with the best thing of being with our God. So let's look now at Jesus' mission. He was God-centered in his prayer. He was willing to deny his flesh and to be with the Father in his prayers. So let's look at his mission. Because he said, I need to leave Capernaum and now we're going to move on to the next towns for that is why I came out. We can already gather what his mission was not based on his actions so far. We know his mission was not to build on the popularity he had gathered in Capernaum. His mission was not to be a miracle worker or a showman. His mission was not to gather the largest following he could or to be liked by as many people as possible. 
He was also not trying to make people happy with him. He was not trying to impress anyone, and he was not indiscriminately preaching to anyone. He had a mission, a specific, specifically designed mission from the Father. On earth, Jesus came to do the Father's will. On earth, his mission was God-centeredness, and the will of the Father is told to us as this, to seek and to save the lost. Jesus' goal was to seek and to save the lost. That is why I came out, Jesus says in verse 38. So we have to ask, came out of where? Came out of Capernaum? Well, yes, he needs to seek and save the lost around Galilee. But also, this is why he came out from heaven to earth, was to seek and to save the lost. Listen to his words in John 6. Jesus says it this way, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus' mission was to seek and to save every single child of God that the Father had given to Jesus to save. And so he went to get his people, just as he came to get you and me. Jesus' ministry is based on that relationship he has with the Father. Jesus derives a ministry from a relationship with the Father. He is the Son, one in being with the Father, and he is the servant who is one in purpose with the Father's will, as one commentator has put it. And this is called the covenant of redemption. Before time began, the Father and the Son and the Spirit agreed that they were going to save God's people. God promised, I'm going to send the Son and I'm going to love my children and I am going to work redemption. And Jesus said, I will go and I will also be a part of working this redemption and I will lay down my life and I will seek and save the lost. And the Spirit said, I will apply this to the children of God. This is the covenant of redemption from before time began where God has been working. And so that's what Jesus has arrived to do here in Galilee. And so to seek and to save... We'll see that involves Jesus' preaching and his praying. When Jesus was preaching, he was seeking the lost. He was going out, proclaiming the word. He says, I need to go and preach there also in these villages. Preaching, we have to know, takes priority for Jesus. Yes, he was healing, he was doing miracles, he was doing exorcisms. But these, as Calvin calls them, are appendages. The primary focus is the word of God. It might be strange to you that there are three places where I could speak from where there were two and I decided to put one here it's theological because we believe the preached word of God is central and that's because that's what Jesus did the preached word of God was central and when he was going about and he healed or was casting out demons these were things that he did to show the validity of the word of God to show the authority of the preaching in Romans uh, in Romans, Paul makes it clear also. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But how are they going to call on him in whom they've not heard? And how are they going to hear unless someone preaches? The preaching of the word is critical and so Jesus was all about it. And so that's what Jesus was about. But Jesus was about seeking and saving the lost. And so we see actually his prayer that we just looked at is his way of saving the lost. Now, there are a couple layers here. 
Jesus' prayer was saving the lost because he's not doing anything that is contrary to his mission. So if he is about seeking and saving the lost, his praying must be about seeking and saving the lost. And in his praying, he was reminding us that he was all about God's will. You see what he prayed in Gethsemane. He asked the Father, please remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So Jesus was willing to die to save his people, even though in his humanity he did not want to do this. And again, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is constantly submitting to the will of the Father as he prays. And he prays for us to save us. Now he prays for us, again here, two different layers. He prays for us in that, yes, he, he, we are a prayer request that Jesus brings to the Father. He does. He prays for us in that sense. He lifts us up as prayer requests that we would know him and that we would be one as he and the Father are one. He prays for us specifically in John 17 when he, he talks about the apostles. He says, I do not ask for these, the apostles only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus actually prayed for you and for me when he was praying to the Father in John 17, asking that praying for the apostles and all who would believe as a result of them, and then that's us. So Jesus does pray for us in that sense, but he also prays for us in this sense. He prays in our stead. He prays as our representative. He approaches God-centeredness, and he approaches this relationship with the Father in the way that you and I never could in our sinfulness. When he submitted to the Father's will and his mission, we submit to the Father's will. When he gave up his desires, we give up our desires. In his humanity, he drew near to the Father, bringing all who are in Christ into that same relationship with the Father. He's not just setting us an example. He is actually actively bringing us with him into God's presence. And this is salvation, being in God's presence in that relationship in Christ. When we say he's our intercessor, yes, he intercedes for us by giving requests, but he intercedes for us by being our presence before God. He is at the right hand of the Father right now, making intercession for us, and so you and I are right there at the right hand of the Father because Jesus is there. As Jesus drew near to the Father, we who have faith in Jesus draw near to the Father. He is our pattern of sanctification, so as, as he was holy, so that is what we will be. And he is the one whose holiness is our representative and closeness to the Father. Our sanctification depends on Jesus' closeness to the Father. I feel like I can say this in so many ways, yet let me read to you what uh, theologian Doug Kelly says, and it will probably finally make sense. Jesus, in saying, thy will be done, represents us in his true and full humanity by restoring us to God-centeredness. He, in our room instead, can truly say, I do always those things which please him. He does so especially in his life of prayer. Can you say that you always do what pleases God? I know I can't. But Jesus did, even in the way that he prayed. So the way that Jesus prayed is credited to us. 
The closeness he had with the Father is given to us because we are in Jesus. So yes, when I tell you that you must deny yourselves, set aside time to be with God, put away your comforts and the distractions of all the good things around us, when I say we got to do all that to know the Father, that is true. It is a proper response to the relationship we have with the Father, but you're not going to do it perfectly. But if you are in Jesus, He saves you properly and completely when He denies Himself to pursue the will of the Father. When you see Jesus giving up all these distractions and these temptations to be famous, He's doing it so that you are not distracted or lured by fame. And because he is so intimately known by the Father and so intimately knows the Father, so we who are in him have that same relationship. If he came to seek and save the lost by preaching, he also came to save his children, to lose none of them by bringing us with him in his closeness to the Father. When you're not close enough with God, Jesus is for you. And so you have access to the abundance from the throne of grace. What a gift. And later on here in Mark, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the disciples are with him. And twice Jesus pleads with them, do not fall asleep. Stay awake and pray with me. But even the disciples who had walked with Jesus fell asleep. They were tired. That is you and me. We are the ones who fall asleep and yet Jesus prays for us and then goes to the cross and saves us. What a savior. And so Jesus, his prayers before the Father were enough to carry his disciples with him into God's embrace and so Christ carries you and me into the presence of the Father as he stands always interceding for us in heaven. Now here on earth when we pray, the Spirit is the one who's working on our behalf. The Spirit speaks when we don't know what to say. The Spirit is the communicator from our end. So when we pray, it's Trinitarian. The Spirit works, the Son works, and the Father works, even when we pray. Praise God for grace that doesn't just get us a a pass into heaven, but He gives us grace that brings us into intimate knowledge of God and closeness with Him, into God-centeredness that Jesus was successful in. Christian, you are in Christ, the great high priest. So now we can pray with meaning, in closeness with the Father. So let us draw near to his presence, know him, spend time with him, and be changed by his sanctifying presence because of our perfect, righteous, and holy Savior, Jesus Christ, who offered himself for us. (laughs) And now I'm supposed to pray. Let's take advantage of that privilege. Gracious God, you desire to know us, and so you welcome us in your presence because we come in Jesus Christ. You desire for us to come and to lay our desires before you, and we thank you that you hear us and that you answer, but we thank you that Jesus Christ approached your throne in the way that we never could, that he knew you in the way that we can't on our own but in the ways that we look forward to seeing you face to face on that last day. We thank you for Jesus, by whom we pray now, and in whose name we always pray. Amen.